Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. In ninth grade, it was spring. And it was time for spring football. Back in the day, spring football was a little bit different than it is now, but it was, it was generally a week or two of just really hard work. And that spring, we came off of our ninth grade season and going into spring, that was, so back in the day, ninth grade where I played was its own football team. You had a ninth grade football team, uh, which I guess now is considered the freshman football team, but it was a ninth grade football team that I played on. And we were going from ninth grade to what would have been, for my small school, really varsity. There was no junior varsity. You kind of all played up from 10th grade through 12th grade. You were on one team. And so, uh, so we were moving up, and I was at spring practice. And that spring practice, I, you know, I, I had solidified myself as, as the starting tight end and the starting defensive end on the defensive side back at my small school you played on both sides of the ball it didn't matter if it was offense or defense and so I played both a tight end and a defensive end and I went into the spring uh, like I said solidifying myself as one of the starters and then summer hit and I got complacent because the guy behind me Josh had never really played any sports. And if I'm honest, Josh was a, I hope he doesn't ever see this, but Josh was a little bit geeky. I mean, okay, he was a lot of a geek kind of guy. Never played sports, wasn't very athletic, was soft. And I thought, man, he'll never see the field. But guess what Josh didn't do over the summer? He didn't get complacent. In fact, he started working out not just the required couple of times a week, but every day of the week. I would go over to his house because we were friends. I would go over to his house uh, and, and we might be playing video games or something. Uh, back in the day, it was double, double dribble. Does anybody remember double dribble? Yeah, okay. And... Uh, what was the one where you jumped the ponds and all that? Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so we would go and play video games, and we'd be playing the video games, and then he'd say, hey, man, I've got to, uh, I've got to study now. And I'm like, dude, it's summer. What do you mean you got to study? Well, I've got to study my playbook. <laughs> study the playbook. This guy. And he would literally take time out, and he would leave doing what we were doing, and he would go study the playbook. He was memorizing every play in the playbook. And I'm like, ah, this guy's a joker. He's so soft. He'll never, yeah, whatever, dude. I don't have to study the playbook. I've ran every play. Except I hadn't. And I was complacent. And I chose video game over workouts. And then fall camp rolls around. And I, I had had a busy summer, and I had traveled, and I'd been at different places, and I'd worked at a camp, and I came back, and I hadn't seen Josh for like two months. So I saw him at the beginning of the summer, hadn't seen him for like two months, and I roll into to this 
fall camp where we're getting ready to do two-a-days, and I'm like, who is that guy? I'm like, what guy? You mean, you mean Josh? I'm like, wait, what? The dude had packed on some weight, and it was mostly muscle, and he had grown like another inch or two. I don't know. It was unbelievable, his transformation. And then we get out there, and he was running harder than anybody else. And when we hit the weight rooms, because we had weight room time too, he was lifting more than anybody else. That was my wake-up call. I had become very complacent, and this nerd who had never played anything, who had worked hard and studied, took my spot. Now, I got fooled into thinking that I was good enough and I didn't really have to put the time in I was complacent but Josh on the other hand realized he had to put the effort into it and this little geek unassuming never athletic guy became something I took him for granted, and I took my position for granted. And it's funny how that happens often, right? We see it in Scripture over and over again. God uses the unlikely, the people that are weird and strange and fringe. And today, we're going to continue this look at one of those weird, strange, fringe guys. And his name was John. And John wore camel's hair down by the river. He didn't live in a van down by the river. He had no home down by the river. He was wild. And the, the clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt was odd. He was on the fringe of society. He was, he was the motivational speaker that no one wanted. And some of you are like, what does that have to do with anything, motivational speaker? Well, that's down by the river. Just go look at SNL old skits. So John was this odd guy that was an outcast, and he, he wore camel's hair and a leather belt, and he ate things like locusts and wild honey because those were the things that you didn't have to worry about growing. You just found them. And by the way, interesting fact, locusts is the only insect allowed to be eaten in Jewish culture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 3, and we're going to look at voice, verses 4 through 12 to dive a little bit deeper into who this John guy was and what he came to do. Last week, we said that he was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And we talked about how he was really in the wilderness, which meant that it was not only the physical wilderness, but the people of Israel had kind of been stuck in a wilderness. And like the herald calling people out of Egypt or calling people out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, he was now calling people out of their, out of, out of their place of, of stagnation and into something different. And he was doing it at the front end of the ministry of Jesus, who we learned was God himself. He was the herald setting straight the path for God himself, preparing his way. 
And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what, what this weird dude was doing and what he was saying as he was doing it. Verse 5, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the he is and what he's doing and verse 6 says and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins we learned last week that he was calling them to repentance does anybody remember what we talked about repentance was I know some of you in our community group uh, do because we talked about it on Monday night what does repent mean to turn around I'm heading west that's west for you people, the compass, that's west. To repent means to literally go, okay, I don't need to go west. I'm supposed to be going east. So he's saying, change the direction of where you're going. And he was calling people to go in the direction that God was leading them. So repent, before you can change directions, you have to confess, oh, yeah, I'm lost. I'm headed in the wrong direction, direction here. Or, I'm complacent and I'm just out here wandering in the wilderness and I have no direction. I'm just kind of, yeah, whatever. Kind of like I was that summer, riding my bike and playing video games and working at camp and not doing anything. I was just, just kind of fumbling and bumbling and walking around and doing nothing. So what, what he comes doing is, he comes and he says, Repent, but part of repenting means to confess that the direction you're heading in is wrong. So people were coming to him and listening to him, and as he was telling them to repent, they were confessing, I'm wrong, I've blown it, I've been chasing the wrong things, I've been living the wrong way, I haven't been pursuing God. And then he baptized them. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Let's stop here. Do you understand what just happened there? His message has become so powerful and impactful, it has rippled through so many layers of the culture now that the big dogs have come to figure out what's going on. The Sadducees were the ones that were the political and religious power structure. The Pharisees were the ones that kind of controlled how you lived. So you had one set that was the political, religious power, and then the other one that told you all the rules. And they didn't play nicely together. So the fact that they came together to confront John meant that John was a huge, real problem for them. And why was that? Because part of the thing that they were chasing after was doing exactly what the Pharisees were telling them to do. And John shows up and says, that's not good enough. Just going through the motions isn't good enough. Just checking the box isn't good enough. Just heading down this path of religiosity isn't good enough. Just living a good moral life isn't good enough. That's not what this is about. 
So you can imagine the people that were saying, no, it's all about just doing this. Just stay in your lane, bro. Just do what I tell you to do and you'll be okay. And then someone comes and says, those people are not telling you the truth. You need to change your ways. There's going to be a problem. And that's what happened. So they show up to confront John and to figure out what's going on. And I can just see them in their, in their cloaks at the side of the river stroking their beard. This guy is weird. Kind of like I looked at Josh. Ugh, dumpy and soft. He thinks he can play football. I'll show him. So they show up thinking that they're better, thinking he's unlearned, thinking the dude is wearing a stanky camel's hair. I mean, think about that. A camel's hair cloak. There's no way that's comfortable. And it has to smell bad, right? Have you ever been around a camel? I have. How do they smell, Jonathan? Horrible. Yeah. Disgusting. Yes, don't go into it. There's stuff, so I've got to say it now. You took me down this road, and I cannot not say it. <laughs> yes, I can. Don't say it, Todd. Don't say it. When they use the bathroom, it's all on their fur. And it stays there in balls. And they walk around with it just hanging off their fur. It's disgusting. So someone says, hey, I'm going to make a coat out of that. Brilliant. There is nothing that is inviting about this John character. He is bizarre. So they come to find out what in the world is going on. And when John sees them, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, this message isn't for you. You're too stuck in your ways. You're too caught in going the wrong direction. You're too focused on how you look or what you have, your power, your religiosity, your, your whatever it is. Your weird, your, your, your weird uh, belief that you're better than everybody else. You're stuck in that. Who warned you that you're going the wrong way? In other words, why are you showing up? He knew why they were showing up. He knew that they were showing up to confront him and to try to stop what he was doing. But he calls them a brood of vipers, which is, which is kind of funny. <clears throat> because the word brood, uh, or the, the idea of brood of vipers... And wrath to come puts this image in the mind of the people of Israel. And if you've ever watched the original Indiana Jones, you know what I'm talking about. He opens up the one thing at the beginning, and he looks down, and the whole floor is moving. It's snake, right? It's just this, this huge brood of snakes and vipers. And what's he do? He takes the torch, and he drops it down, and the vipers scatter. And that's what this picture is. You brood of vipers. Wrath brings with it the idea of fire. This is a beautiful, it's, a, it's poetic really. What he's saying is the fire of God be around. I'm dropping 
the truth of God on you and you scatter because you can't handle it. That is an amazing picture. I love that. So he's calling them out, confronting the power structures, confronting the religiosity. He's saying, no, you're wrong. There's something else that's better. There's something different than what you're offering. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just talk about being righteous and don't just talk about the right things to do. Instead, let your life show that you're someone different. If you say that you're all these things and you're going through all these motions and you live this holier than thou, then why is it that there are orphans and widows starving on your watch? That's in essence what he's saying. If you are who you're supposed to go and you're going in this direction and, and God's telling you, you know, that, that you're right and you're telling everybody else that you're right, then why is all of this wrong in your world that you control? There will always be wrong stuff in the world, but as long as we can have something to say about it, as long as it's within our power to do something, that's in essence what John is telling them. Instead of talking about righteousness, live it. Instead of talking about being saved by the grace of God, live a grace-filled life. Bear fruit. Don't just tell us. How many of you have gotten frustrated lately with the do as I say and not as I do mentality that we see over and over and over again? That's in essence what he's saying. Don't just talk a good game. Live it. You brood of vipers. You can't stand the truth of God. You flee from it. And you're not bearing the right fruit. Verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able. And then he says to that, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. So he is saying, you think that just because you have the right lineage, just because you go to the right synagogue and temple, just because you go through the right motions that you're okay, just because you are a child of Abraham doesn't mean that you are where you need to be spiritually. And I think this is a truth for the people sitting in chairs and pews all across our nation. This is a truth that we have to come back to over and over and over again. The way this would play out in our world would say, just because you walk forward or pray to prayer doesn't mean. Just because you go to church on a regular basis doesn't mean. Just because you check all the boxes doesn't mean. And in one of my favorite phrases from the outlaw Josie Wells, it doesn't mean diddle up squat. And that's what he's saying. 
He's saying it doesn't matter that you have all these tags. It doesn't matter that you have the right lineage. It doesn't matter that you have the right degrees. It doesn't matter that you grew up in the right place. None of that matters. For I tell you that God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. What's funny about the word children and stones in the original language and in the Aramaic. So in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic, they're the exact same word with different vowel points. That means nothing to you other than understand that he's saying that stones can be children and stones are what you build a house with and that God is in the business of building, choosing whatever stones he wants to to build his house. Not a physical house, but in their culture, house was also connected with household or family. So to build a house was to build a family. So what John is saying is God can choose anybody and adopt them into his family. It, it doesn't matter what their last name is or where they're from. It doesn't matter if they follow all your rules. What really matters is, are they a child of God? You can imagine this is a very radical message for the Sadducees and the Pharisees who show up to see this weird wild guy in nasty camel's hair. When they hear this, they had to be angry. They had to be upset. Hopefully, some of them did a gut check. Am I just going through the motions? Am I really pursuing God as his child? Exactly. Let's go this way. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> I mean, you would have think we worked that out, but we didn't, I promise. <laughs> that was hilarious. So... Uh, sometimes it's just so fun. Then he goes on, verse 10, and, and, and says something that I think is important. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Even now. In your midst. And he's saying it as there are people in the water getting baptized who are unlikely characters, who don't have the education. They just want God. And there are these men, and they were all men, sitting on the side of the river who were judging everything that was going on, and they thought they wanted God, but what they really wanted, comfortable, it was God in a box, and it was going through the motions. You had people in the water and people on the side. And what he's saying is, you are standing in the middle of this right now. You get to choose. The axe is at the root. Are you going to be in the water, or are you going to be on the land? Are you going to be a child? a viper. Who runs at the powerful work. He says, even now, now is your time. 
The axe is laid at the root of the trees. It's a picture of there's a tree with an axe at it, and that tree's coming down within the next few minutes. I've never been in the forest when y'all have taken down a big... I don't know exactly what that must feel like, even as it hits the ground. But there's something massive and powerful when you see this tree, and it's laid down, and all that's left is stump. And John is telling them, God's taken down the trees that are producing no fruit. Then he goes on and says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown in the fire. Here's this power, the word. It's used to destroy, but it's also used to refine, to make more pure. John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. Now he's talking to the whole crowd, not just to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I baptize you with water for repentance, but, who, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not, I'm not worthy to carry. I will baptize you, or he will baptize you with the whole, again, this notion. up with a third analogy here one that includes fire verse 12 his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire this is a agrarian uh analogy that we don't understand in our culture but i'm going to kind of try to piece it together for you here you would take wheat and you would uh, uh, a smooth, it was either stones or a smooth, out, um, a smooth out place that was just hard. And you would thresh it, and what would come off were the, the grain heads, right? Then you would take a winnowing fork, you'd take all the stalks and throw those away. So you just had the grain and the, the chafe around the grain on the floor. So then you would take a, a winnowing fork, this kind of almost like a rake, but thinner than a rake, not like, not like raking leaves, but thin. And you would take it and you would throw the grain heads up in the air. And in these grain floors, you would have these two slits in it where wind would be directed through. And as you tossed up the grain, the chafe, the outer thin shell, would get blown by the wind. And it would sometimes blow out but a lot of times it would collect around corners and just fall back down and then you would take the grain and it would set, it would fall in this process the grain would fall the chafe would kind of float and it would end up over here and then they would sweep the grain and they would take the chafe and they would light it and it would If you peel back all the layers, is there God's life in you, or is everything just husk and chafe, fluff? And that's what he's telling the people, that's what he's asking the people, and I think that's what he's asking us.
Have we become so complacent that we're nothing but fluff and chafe? Now, what's really interesting about this section of Scripture that I didn't mention beforehand because I wanted to save it here, every it was so clear to his audience Jesus takes it and unfolds it through the rest of his ministry in the book of Matthew it's, it's beautiful in for me and with me. Don't just put on the outer husk, the fluff, so that everybody around you looks at you and goes, oh yeah, they're great, they got their stuff together, everything's good. But if all the fluff is gone, is there a grain of real life in you? And that's what John confronts us with, and that's what Jesus confronts us with, and that's what I was confronted this, with this week, and I'm like, holy smokes, God, stop. Can we not do this now? It's not convenient and it's not easy, but it's necessary. Because like ninth slash tenth grade Todd, too many of us have become complacent with our faith. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.